This episode of the Best Seats Podcast is brought to you by, well, you. To learn how you can support the show, go to thebestseats.com slash Patreon. Once there, you'll learn how you can get early access to shows, ad-free listening, the ability to submit questions, comments, concerns, and more. Once again, that's thebestseats.com slash Patreon. But enough of that. On to the show. Welcome, 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 everybody, to this episode of the Best Seats Podcast. I'm your host, Crawford McCarthy. Thank you, as always, to Allie Coyle for the intro, outro, and general episode music. You can find her at AllieCoyleMusic.com. Big episode this week. I'm extremely excited. Uh, my good friend, Michael Rooney, beverage director of the Vodka Group, is calling in. Uh, arguably one of the best bartenders, if not best human beings in the Western United States, if not the world. Uh, absolutely love this guy. I'm very proud to call him a friend. If you spend any time at any of Amar Santana and Vodka Group's restaurants, you know that the quality of their drinks complements the food, just that the food complements the drinks and the rest of the experience as a whole. Uh, Michael's extremely knowledgeable, extremely well-spoken, uh, well-versed in the beverage world, uh, and truly just an absolute gem of a human. He's extremely humble, um, and yet at the same time, wildly full of knowledge, uh, kind of adventure, excitement, things like that. It's a bit of a heavy episode. We're definitely going to focus on how COVID has, COVID-19 has affected kind of everyone and every aspect of the industry, but it's also very illuminating. Um, all of the, sorry, not all the restaurants, Vodka and Broadway are both open for takeout as well as to-go cocktails, which we shed, shed some light on in the episode. Uh, but really, this is a really, really big one. Um, it's definitely one thing to talk with chefs, uh, but I didn't want the podcast to be just about that. I wanted to focus on all aspects of the industry. And the beverage side of it is something that's very near and dear to my heart. Uh, and there's probably no person better to speak on it for the initial beverage episode than Michael Rooney. So... I hope that you enjoy. I hope that you learn something, take something away. Um, and ultimately, I hope it means that you'll drink better drinks at home, get some drinks to go. And when this is all over and we can see each other in person and high five and give a hug and a kiss on the cheek, have some drinks together. So without further ado, my interview of the Best Seats podcast with my friend, beverage director of the Vodka Group, Michael Rooney. Hello, hello. How are you, my friend? I'm doing well, bud. How are you? Can you hear me? I can indeed. Yeah, you're good. How are things? Okay. Good. I'm just getting lost on these disinfectant Donald memes. It's pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it's about as good as we can do right now. How are you holding up? How are you surviving? Staying sane? Staying, uh, staying safe? Yeah, staying safe. Staying in. Spending my time at home or the restaurants, effectively, and in the car in between. So, for those that going for runs. Okay, I have a quick question, real quick, before we even dive into all of this. Were you running on the on ramp to the one thirty three the other day because there was a tall, possibly handsome ginger person with long hair going for a run on like the side of the on ramp? Was that you? No, that that'd be way too easy for me. I like to run the hills in Laguna. It's way better that way. Okay, I get so, more of a workout less time. 
I was about to pull over and yell at a stranger then. Good. All right. Fair enough. Uh, for those that may not know who you are, uh, quick introduction, quick background, and what are the restaurants that you're talking about that you work for? Uh, name's Michael Rooney. I've been a bartender for 12 years. I've been working for Broadway by Santana for over six, running the bar program there. And Broadway grew into the Vaca Group, which now has Vaca, Broadway, and the Hall of Liberty, which just opened up in Costa Mesa in January. So you, and, and I, I will defend this against anybody, you, I think, are one of the better, not just bartenders, but beverage directors, I think, on the West Coast. Your bar program helped really kind of light a fire in me and sparked my interest in spirits, and it's only grown from there. Uh, Dave Chang likes to say that the measure of success is not what your restaurant does, but the alumni that leave it. And I would say the, the people that have come out of your program are probably some of the best, not just bartenders, but human beings I've ever known. Broadway has been around for a while now. Um, obviously, Vodka is, what, three years old? Two years old? Oh, no, it's over four. Is it already over four? Mm-hmm. So it's good to see that I did my research December before 26, this. December 26, 2015. No, no. And the hall, <laughs> the hall is obviously the new baby in all this. Um, what has this kind of been like for you going from bartender to beverage director and then having obviously COVID-19 hit and having to immediately basically step away from all of it? Well, I can't say I stepped away from any of it um, in the current situation. I mean, going from bartender to beverage director was a relatively easy transition. I started taking over managerial functions pretty quickly after being hired at Broadway. I kind of always had a development in managerial mind, so that was an easy transition. Uh, the difficult thing has been scaling upward. That's been extremely complicated. Um, you know, and leading by example and finding the staff who was crazy enough and willing to follow the example. and really take the heart, the ethos of our programs and carry that forward so that when I wasn't standing behind the bar, my ethos was still standing behind the bar. And, you know, I'm, I'm not extremely rigid. I like people to, to settle on the crutch of their personality. I love how wild and different each of my bar staff is. Um, so, you know, calling together a bunch of wild animals can be, uh, complicated at times and the worst thing about this whole crisis is we had i felt like we with the opening of the hall we had reached a level of understanding throughout the restaurant group to where everybody was just fully invested and ready to go and then of course this hit and it's been a pretty massive adjustment for us so talking about the restaurant group as a whole what is it like before this uh running three establishments on the liquid side of things that obviously were all under the same ownership group, but at the same time, vastly different. Uh, how was that kind of from a professional standpoint, knowing that you had to curate the menus for three similar things as far as expectation goes with the Mars name behind it and the vodka group behind it, but very different experiences for the guests. Uh, well, I didn't do it alone. So that helps, um, you know, in addition to, of course, having Gabby Dion involved in Broadway and Vodka um, and being there to mentor me and guide me and be a friend and an assistant the whole time that we were 
uh, going through the opening of Baca and the time thereafter when we were opening the hall. Uh, she took a big focus on the other two restaurants for me so that I could focus on the hall. And then beyond her, it's the team. It's having the people in place that we've had in place, having Mark and Kalina and Renee, Nicole, Hannah, Daniel, Jose, uh, and having them at Vodka and Broadway to really perform with me absent uh, was key. And it took us a long time to get to that point. And, you know, there's a lot of, a lot of fighting, a lot of, a lot of conflict, but, you know, we always saw eye to eye at the end of the day. Uh, it was stressful that you're operating three entirely different concepts, delivering three entirely different experiences. And we tried to mitigate any crossover at all in the ethos of the program. You know, Vaca was so strongly focused on being a Spanish program. We did not want to break from traditional Spanish drinking any more than we had to. So, you know, keeping up with Broadway, I thought was complicated. And then when we opened Baca, I realized how easy I had it before. And then once we went into opening the hall, you know, everything seemed complicated operating two programs. And the moment we opened the hall, now hindsight's 2020, right? Suddenly everything that I'd been doing before seemed easier. And fortunately, as I've grown personally and professionally within this group, and this group has grown, um, I've gotten better at personally at managing my level of stress, which definitely has a trickle-down effect to the remainder of the staff. And I've noticed as I've become more confident and I've become less stressed and more communicative, the staff has followed suit. So, you know, it was it was a challenge. It was a great challenge. It's, I we very easily could have just done the same exact program at all three locations, but that would not have been fun at all. So for those that are listening that may not know, Gabby Dion uh, is the owner of the Mixing Glass up in Costa Mesa. In my opinion, I would say the godmother of cocktails and bar programs as they stand in Orange County. Absolutely fantastic woman. And at the time of this recording, they are doing delivery. So if your bar is looking a little low, please go to the Mixing Glass and get all of your restocks from there. I just did. And I absolutely love her. And her impact on the Orange County cocktail community cannot be understated. Uh Rooney, going from what you were, yeah, going from what you were doing with the three concepts before COVID nineteen, how has each of them pivoted since? Oh, well, the hall has closed down in effect um, at the mean at the current moment. So it's we're throwing everything into Bach and Broadway. They were established. We had established clientele. Uh, it seemed like the area where we could make the most use of our time. Uh, the hall was still a little disorganized in the middle of the opening phase, so it just it didn't seem pertinent to keep going forward with that at that time. Uh, that being said, we are taking elements of the hall in the bottom this week in terms of the pastries because people have been clamoring for those. But in regards to the alcohol programs, once the businesses shut down, you know, it was a good three-day shock kind of uh, paralyzed me for a minute and then after three days you know i was able to adjust and see that there was opportunity in what we were facing um i pretty much always have a dozen projects on the back of my mind and one of the projects that has been sitting there forever has been the want to do bottled cocktails and start doing non-alcoholic drinks in 
to go packaging and to grow toward a model that was beyond just on premise. So when this all happened, I went to the hall and I had effectively designed that bar to be a production bar because we were anticipating being extremely busy. It's a very large bar. And I didn't want people to have to wait seven, eight, ten minutes for their drinks coming out of there. So the way that the bar was designed, it was effectively built to be a, a high throughput, high production bar. So I went in and I just recalibrated uh, a lot of the lines that we had behind there, started cutting up all the cocktails um, and using the facilities to the best of my ability to create a limited menu of some of the more uh, loved and specialty cocktails that people have been drinking at our locations here. So getting the vodka tonic in a to-go form was uh, number one. That was objective number one. And fortunately, with some trial and error that we've had a couple of years back on a few different cocktails, I had a path to go on that one, and it worked, thankfully. Um, sangria was an easy enough answer. Uh, getting the vodka vermouth into a bottle was a long, long-time dream of mine. So even the first demo label that we put on that thing, seeing it go in with a label on it was extremely exciting to me. Uh, and then at Broadway, just taking the old hardcore regular cocktails, the ones that people just consume and consume and consume, and making sure that they still have the ability to consume those drinks as close to the originals inside the bars themselves was objective number two. So dialing in the spec on batching, uh, working on the dilution, and then getting on a schedule to ensure that the citrus juices were as fresh as humanly possible for the time that it arrived in the customer's glass at home was the number two undertaking. So those are a couple of things that I don't know if, so for people listening at home that may not be in the industry, uh, batching, and then especially dilution, Batching, I don't think, is as appreciated by the general public as it should be because I think there's a lot of, it's almost more kind of chemistry than art form because you want to make sure that the consistency of the cocktail maintains throughout the entire delivery process because you're not just going from, obviously, the well to the glass to the customer. There's that wait period in between. And then dilution, again, can you touch on some of the difficulties of kind of what it's like? Because I think a lot of people see, oh, they're doing cocktails to go. They're just kind of throwing it in a glass or a mason jar or whatever the container that a lot of people are having to jump to. But I think that there's a lot more to it. Can you kind of expand on that for some of the people like listening that may not understand what those terms really kind of mean? Well, in effect? Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, first off, listening to the state's orders was uh, number one. The, the state has been extremely gracious in terms of uh, how liquor regulations have been opened up to allow restaurants to be able to do this in the first place. Like I, in a million years, I never thought we'd see cocktails ago in California. I never thought that was a feasible concept. Um, so the first thing for me was ensuring that we were having delivery vessels for the customer that packaging that wasn't just a plastic cup. I wanted to make sure that we had something that preserved the cocktail, preferably for a long period of time, because I knew I was going to work on a production scale. Um, so getting it into glass bottles with a proper bottle capper and getting it in under the proper conditions was absolutely key. Um, and that has helped. You know, I've 
the first cocktails that we batched up during this whole this whole pandemic when we first shut down, I've been holding on to them from week to week to week and testing them as we go along to see how long the shelf life actually is on this product. Um, on the batching front itself, it, it is complicated. It's not as easy as scaling up. Generally, working off of fluid measure in batching is it's a, uh, a slippery slope. It's a wrong path. And we've learned that over the years because we've done keg cocktails at Broadway and at Baca. And we have batched up, and you do have to consider the degradation of the acid component, and you have to consider the oxygenation of the product as a whole, and you have to consider the balance of gas in the cocktail and how that's going to erode over time. And you also have to consider the balance itself. You can't simply take a cocktail that has a three-quarter, three-quarter, two of sour step measure and scale that up for 150 cocktails. It doesn't work, but you're ultimately going to wind that wind up at is a cocktail that's too sweet invariably and one of the ways that i've been able to use this as an opportunity is to understand batching on a a greater level and i the scale has become my best friend it's become my number one tool during this endeavor i effectively started with batching as a whole as a measure of weight as opposed to a measure of fluid ounces. And I have found that that gets me significantly closer to the objective of the cocktail going into bottle. Um, you know, for instance, syrup is going to weigh more than acid, obviously, than lime juice. So I can't take a two-to-one syrup and put it up next to the same equal measure of lime juice and expect a balanced cocktail. Where in a bar, I might be able to achieve that once you scale up and you put water into the equation and then it sits, the cocktail will constantly come out too sweet. And then you also have to consider that even as I'm tasting it when it's going into the keg, when we are going into the batching, there's going to be massive acid degradation so long as that cocktail is exposed to an oxygenated environment. So, I mean, the pH of lime is approximately 2.1 coming out of the fresh lime. Within a day, you're down below three. So, being able to ensure that that acid bite is still there also is a matter of adjustment. And then the water dilution. So, I've been effectively working off of uh, scales and working off of weight, physical weight for the majority of the batching, but when it comes to the water dilution, I have found that water dilution doesn't work as well off the plate. It works off of volume. So I effectively need two columns going in and around batching these cocktails, one showcasing uh, pound mass of what I'm weighing and the other one showcasing fluid ounces going into the actual head itself. So as I've been going through, I've been tweaking. The margarita has had three iterations and annual slightly tweaking each time just to, because I noticed after a week, it would start to go a direction I did not want it to go. And I wanted to have a cocktail that was good enough for at least 10 days in a bottle. So making those small adjustments um, has taught me a lot. And it's definitely just compounded the fact that this is significantly more science and frankly an inexact science than art. 
for a lot of bartenders, at least the people that I kind of read, follow, uh, batching was obviously a big kind of, it, it's been a thing obviously for a while, but it seemed like it was almost kind of having this reemergence in the past year or so with whether they were kind of cocktails that were kegged or anything like that. Which, I mean, COVID-19 has obviously been god awful and we want it to go away immediately. Is there, I mean, are you benefiting from having to learn this, this kind of forced education? I mean, is there anything, let's say the virus ends tomorrow, are you grateful for the experience or do you still wish it never happened? Uh, I've always been a living moment type of person. Um, going back to being a child, I can't really, I, my ethos when I was like 13 years old was if you look before you leap, you might miss the train. So you get into an opportunity like this and all lessons learned are good. Knowledge is never a bad thing. And I feel like if it did end tomorrow, that would be amazing. If this thing just suddenly disappeared, it just magically disappeared and all of a sudden restaurants opened up and bars went back to business, that would be the most incredible situation. The reality of the situation is that's not going to happen. So I've taken the opportunity as I try to take every opportunity in my life to experience something in the moment and to learn something and to continue to grow my knowledge base every day, every moment as we go through. So what I've learned in terms of batching here, I mean, it's, I built the hall for batching purposes. You know, I, I had four dedicated lines behind the bar that were specifically going to be for batch product. And I did that because when you understand the batch product, I think of what we've done, I think of something like Flight Provision down in San Diego, which is one of my absolute favorite programs ever still. Uh, and what they've been able to do on their batching front, it's absolutely remarkable. And it's also extremely efficient. It allows you to deliver a myriad of products to the guests. And it allows you to deliver a myriad of great product to the guests without putting extra strain on the bartender's body. And as you're batching, since you can make certain adjustments in the batch, you can usually deliver that product at a lower cost to the facility than you could a single cocktail going out from shaker or glass. So, building the hall, it was kind of my first foray into a massively batched program, something where we could turn out great product over and over and over, first without the guests waiting, and second without impacting bartender health. So, for me, this experience, you know, I, like I said, I always have a dozen projects, and the massive batching in production has been an evergreen project of mine sitting on the back burner for years. So every bit of knowledge I've gained about it during this has been beneficial, and I believe will be beneficial to me and to the group moving forward. Uh, for those that are listening that don't know, uh, Palais Provisions is an amazing bar, a million percent correct. I think it's one of the best on the West Coast. It is run by Eric Castro, who, if you're killing time during this quarantine, also has arguably one of the best uh, bar industry-driven podcasts called Bartender at Large. So please give that a listen. Eric, I think, is a, a really, really awesome human being. And Polite Provisions is also one of my favorites on the West Coast. It's an amazing, amazing place. 
Uh, Rooney, you and I are in agreement that I don't think this is going away anytime soon. And one of the biggest uncertainties, and I think probably the most terrifying part, is actually when it does not go away, but when we can all kind of go out again. Have you or Vodka Group as a whole, and I'm assuming this is a yes, knowing a Mars business strategy, given thought to what restaurants look like post-COVID-19? And especially as far as kind of your expertise is concerned, what do bars look like? post COVID-19 as far as like seating and service and kind of things along that nature. I'll be perfectly forthcoming with you. And maybe this will help a lot of people who are in the industry who are maybe feeling a little unsettled right now. No, not really. Um, you know, we spent the last seven weeks focused on the immediate day, focused on the immediate issues at hand. Um, it took a few weeks for us to gain our footing to be able to adjust our focus further out than that. Um, you're, we were dealing with staffing, with insurance payments for staff. How are we going to keep the staff insured? How are we going to keep the lights on? What are we going to do in terms of securing loans? Can we get a deferment of rent payments? I, there were so many. Can we retain managerial staff? If we can retain managerial staff, at what cost can we retain managerial, managerial staff? What can we do? to open and serve today. And we've had to focus on that to make sure that we are turning out the best possible product that we can. And the team that has remained with us has been absolutely amazing. All, all praise to the managers, the chefs, uh, Chef Ted and Ed and Richie and John. What they have done what Chef Herman have done in terms of ensuring that we're continuing to turn out and focus and put out product at the locations cannot be understated. So it was only this past week that I sat down with ownership and we started having the discussion because the, the reality is we know we're not going to be able to open before May 15th at the earliest. And we're anticipating it's likely going to be after that. So right now, our adjustment is what can we do between now and then to help grow what we've been doing so that we can continue to provide health insurance and paychecks for our workers who would love to be helping us right now, but unfortunately cannot. Um, and this last week is the first time that we sat down and we started having discussions about what it's going to look like in a post COVID-19 world, because the reality is, is we know tables are going to have to be removed. And right before Newsom put the stay at home order into effect on the 16th, the last regulation that had come down when bars were closed down was that restaurant bars could not have seats at them. So, we're starting to have the conversation of what happens if we open these restaurants and the bars aren't allowed to have seats. Is that what it's going to look like? Uh, what happens if we open this restaurant and the bar stools have to be six feet away? If that's the case at Broadway, I can only have six, feet, six people sitting at the bar at any given time. So we, the, the state has been, in my opinion, pretty incredible with how they have responded to this crisis. I think they've done 
a great job at what they have to do in terms of keeping people safe. I appreciate what they've done to allow us to continue to operate so that we can continue to feed the community and what they've allowed us to do so that we can continue to produce cocktails, not just for our guests, but just because that does help us with our objectives of retaining staff insurance. Um, but there, there has been uh, a dearth of guidance in terms of what opening might look like. So last week we started having the conversation, if this happens, what are we going to do? If this is the, re- the permissibility, what are we going to do? Um, in terms of what it looks like, we don't have a cohesive plan at this point. And we're more just focused on how we're going to make sure that mothers have a great Mother Day, Mother's Day, when we're turning out product from the restaurants to go. That's great to hear, man. I, especially the health insurance part is absolutely amazing. Uh, what the Vodka Group does for its employees, I think, cannot be understated. Aside from being some of the best restaurants, I think you're some of the best managerial staff. And I, I just think the way that you treat your people is absolutely, absolutely amazing. With obviously kind of this not lifting until at least May 15th, and we're in agreement on that. Obviously, people are cooking at home. People are also drinking at home. There's reports about how high liquor sales are, um, and hopefully people are supporting local liquor stores like the Mixing Glass and other people like that. Are there any tips or mandatory items that people should be having at home, kind of from your opinion? If they're not getting cocktails from you, which they should be, but they're making something at home, what are kind of your go-to items, your mandatory things that are just going to help enhance that experience and kind of give people that escapism that they look for in a drink while they're stuck on their couch? Well, I think it's important to focus always on the quality of the ingredient itself. Um, You know, we built our reputations and frankly, our careers on focusing on what's going into the glass, not just putting any gin in the glass, but putting a gin in the glass that we can believe in. Um, and you can talk more about craft distillers if you want a minute and my concerns for them. But, uh, I mean, one thing I've seen at the supermarket in abundance is fresh citrus and fresh produce. You know, we're, we're always blessed to live in California, always. Uh, we have such an abundance of produce here. We're such a, a well-producing state, and we receive a lot of product in the off-season as well from Chile and Peru. A lot of it comes directly into us, Mexico. Um, but right now, there is so much beautiful Satsuma, Ojai Pixie Tangerines, lime, lemon, orange. There's uh, The berries are out. The raspberries, the strawberries look incredible. The blueberries and the blackberries are starting to look great. There's so much fresh produce out there. Uh, you always want to focus on that. Like using, if you can avoid using day-old lunges, avoid using day-old lunges. Get yourself a hand squeezer. Get yourself a little citrus press on Amazon or wherever and press out your citrus juice to order. And that will retain that acid balance as best as possible. You know, reach out to bartenders. Ask them for specs on syrups if you want to do something particular there's god knows there's plenty of information on the internet about how to produce shrubs and syrups and what um but it's all it's always been about quality of the base spirit and focus on balance and focus on using the freshest ingredients possible and at home right now 
in at least where we're at. From what I've seen at the grocery stores, that's still absolutely a possibility. You you can't get toilet paper, but you can get fresh lime for days. So, um, that yeah, that would be my. So you'll be able to have a great daiquiri, but you'll have to hop in the shower to rinse off after you do your business. I, I completely you agree. You know, with you. <laughs> I, I, I really feel like the bidet industry was late to the game on marketing during this industry, during this pandemic. They really could have cornered the market pretty good. So I do have one question from patreon.com slash the best seat. Cheryl McCarthy writes in, when this is all over and we want to do summer entertaining, is there a great signature cocktail that we can pre-make uh, pitcher so we're kind of talking about batching we're talking about everything like that if people want to entertain or maybe not even when this is over if they just want to kind of entertain themselves what's kind of your to go home kind of batched cocktail if someone wants to make it in mass well i can tell you that Kristen and i are big fans of margaritas and the variation we're big fans of daiquiris we do a lot with daiquiris um, we've had a can of coconut cream sitting over there for the last day or two, and we have some fresh pineapple, so we're ready to get to doing some blender based pina colada because that's a guilty pleasure of mine. Uh, you know, rum, rum is such a beautiful spirit that nobody really appreciates or respects. Still to this day, we've been trying for years to turn the corner on rum at the bars, and it's been difficult, but it mildly. Uh, but when you talk about daiquiris and pina coladas and mojitos, you know, mojitos especially, muddle some mint, get some beautiful lime in there, a little bit of syrup. If you want to put some strawberries in there, muddle those up. Rum, pour them in the pitcher, pour them out on the back porch. It's a great way to go about it. Gin tonics. There's so much great tonic on the market today. There's so much great gin on the market today. Uh, have some fun. Experiment. You know, when we, when we do the gin tonic pairings at Baca for each menu, Gabby and I sit down, we hone in on the gins we want to use. We take every single tonic that we have available to us. We measure everything out and we go through and we taste the gin with, you know, eight, nine, 10, 12 different tonics, however many we have on site at that time. That's a fun project. You can easily get three or four different tonics and get your favorite gin and go home and measure out a two to one spec tonic to gin and sit there and taste it and assess which one you like best. Because the truth of the matter is that we've had gins that we absolutely love that just completely fall apart with every single tonic. They don't, they don't work together at all. And then we've had gins that we've been relatively heated on in our praise and we hit them with the right tonic and all of a sudden it's like the skies tear open and the sun comes out. Uh, it's, a really fun and interesting experience to go through that. And with how affordable and available tonic water is, grabbing a bottle of gin, sitting out there with your loved one or a, a few people and, you know, doing four or five and tasting them and talking about it and talking about what you like. That's, I think that's a great evening. So talking about products, especially gins, rums, kind of things along that nature. You mentioned on it a little earlier, kind of the craft distillers and the small distillers. What's your view been from the beverage director? And you guys are very, very 
I would almost say candid about the fact that you really utilize a lot of craft distilleries. You carry a lot of people on your back bars that even I've haven't heard of at some points. Uh, my favorite thing to do at any of your bars is to sit down and kind of view the back bar and see what's there. How is this all affecting them? Because I think we hear a lot about restaurants and we hear a lot about bars as we rightfully should, but I think that there's a lot of people caught in the in-between that are not getting the attention they deserve um, and potentially not the financial support, whether it's government or anything else. What's it been like that you kind of you've seen on the craft uh, spirits industry side? I'll be honest with you. I am most, they, in this current situation, I am, I am supremely concerned about small batch distilling. Uh, cocktail bars are a massive vessel for their product. And that's just gone right now. Um, we, prior to the pandemic, we were seemingly already in a period of retraction and consolidation. I would say going back about a year or two. Um, and it's a great concern of mine about how the market will appear when we emerge into whatever our new normal is. It's, I've watched a lot of my favorite distilleries get bottled up by larger multinational conglomerates and you know sometimes it's worked out well there are a few that i can absolutely give praise to they they gave them an injection of money and they got out of the way and i can't blame the distillery for taking that uh, and that's great you know there, there's nothing really wrong with that um but the ones who have not been and the ones who produce at a very small level small to moderate level and are likely not going to be receiving government bailout money uh, and are going to be left there to either close or be gobbled up by a larger brand. It's, I feel like the period of retraction that we were experiencing uh, just got significantly hastened. And um, it, it's unfortunate because the more product that we have available, I mean, just look at the back bar at Bothay and anywhere between 65 and 85 gins set on that back bar at any given time. Uh, some of them are good, some of them are not, but there's a lot of really good product up there that I'm concerned won't be able to survive the economic hit because they don't have their single best advertising stream available to them, which is bartenders. So, you know, when we work with our product, even with what we have going in a bottle right now, for instance, the Boston Tonic, like, fortunately, I had a supply of Brooklyn before we got into this, so we were able to, we've been able to blow through that at that point, but continuing to work with Brooklyn is, is absolutely a focus of mine because I could take the money and work with a larger brand right now and lower my bottle costs easily, right? And get it in the packaging and just try to weather the storm and survive ourselves. But for me, Brooklyn has been a partner with us for four and a half years now, a huge partner of ours. They, they stepped up, they stepped up in big ways for us and I've loved working with them. I love the people who own the company. I love the people who uh, sell for them. I think they have a great product and, if we're not able to support them right now the way that they were able to support us, 
then when we emerge from this crisis, we're not going to have Brooklyn gin anymore. And that's just, I'm just using them as an example. I actually don't know their current financial situation. I can't speak to that. But distillers like that, to me, look like they are the most vulnerable at this moment in time. And I'm, I'm hoping that a lot of the partners that we've had over the last six and a half years that I've had the privilege of running these programs will be there when we get out of this crisis, but I'm, I'm very concerned. So and Brooklyn is fantastic. I, I do love their gin and God knows I love your vodka tonic. Congratulations at the time of this recording, by the way, Brad Johnson uh, just recently got his own at home vodka tonic kit, just like you can, and was very, very high praise about it. Had something to say about the garnish, but I think we can just let that be a bygone. Um, obviously, I hope, I hope you have basil in your backyard. You can keep that garnish going. <laughs> um, so everybody obviously has a different palate. Let's say a whiskey, a gin, and because they do need the support, and I agree with you, a rum, and just for funsies, a tequila or a mezcal. Four brands that are small distillers that you think need some love. If people were looking right now to go online or go to a local uh, you know, place, wherever it is, to find them, what are four brands that you would give some love to during these tough times? Uh, well, I, I mean, I've already plugged Brooklyn and I got it. They've been incredible. They've been great partners to work with um, in terms of gin. Uh, I would say on the whiskey front, somebody who I absolutely love, who only recently came to market in California, would be Woody Creek out of Colorado. Um, I think that they produce really, they're small and they produce really beautiful, well aged bourbon and rye. Uh, it's it's no frills. They don't try to get crazy. Uh, they just focus on the quality of the product going in. Uh, same thing with Leopold Brothers, with pretty much anything Leopold Brothers does coming out of Colorado. Um, for rums, Denizen, Novo Fogo, if you want to go with the Shasta route, I absolutely love Novo Fogo. I've been working with them for years. Uh, they produce an, a supremely superior Cachaca compared to a lot of the products that I've tried. Um, it's very expressive. They have multiple different expressions that are fun to taste. Some of them, most of them, can be sitting meat on their own. God knows you love a caipirinha, and they make a great caipirinha. I do. I really um, do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not going to apologize for it. That's a delicious drink, and people could no, you, as much as I support rum, you. people should drink cachaça as well. I'm a million percent supportive mm -hmm. of that. Um. Tequila, you know, tequila and mezcal, those, as you know, because you've been sitting on my bar for years, uh, tequila and mezcal is a particular pain point of mine. Uh, I'm always concerned about the direction of the industry and about the way that, uh, frankly, whitewash taste and outside investment is affecting the quality of the product and the future sustainability of the product going into bottle. Uh, we, we take stands with tequila and mezcal in the restaurants, we really, really try like hell to focus on working with products that have good ecological ethoses, treat their workers right, pay an honest wage, uh, and are working in either the bat project or other projects of sustainability to ensure that tequila and mezcal do have a future. Um, we work immensely well over the years with the Siembra product range, Siembra Baez, Siembra uh, 
Azul, Siembra, Ancestral, uh, and then the Siembra Metal Mezcals. Uh, David Soro out of Philadelphia has amassed one of the most beautiful collection of agave spirits out there, in my opinion. Uh, and I would promote his product up and down for uh, for the man himself because he's such an incredible human being and supporter who really cares about the producers that he works with and the future of the industry at all. Um, so, and then with Mezcal's, uh, the Malbien product, really gorgeous, the Mazonte product. Uh, if you want to spend a little more, absolutely beautiful. And did I miss a skirt in there? Oh, I'll give you one. Pisco. Amen. Nobody should ever sleep on Pisco. No. Uh, Pisco is one of the most expressive, one of the most beautifully produced products, Peruvian Pisco in particular, on on the on the planet. I remember going through my spirits education, and when we got into the regulation of Peruvian Pisco, I was shell shocked at how stringent their regulation is and they can't cut with water everything that goes into the bottle is distilled to proof and then cut with elements of the distillate itself it's and you get different expressions from Cabrantos and Florentels that are absolutely wild and beautiful they're expressed in cocktails they're great with tonic they're great with soda they're great to drink on their own they're made from grapes so for the gluten-free folks, they're gluten-free. And the best one I've come across is Tapiro. Tapiro produces some of the lightest, most ethereal, most delicious spirit on the planet that I've had from any category. Uh, and every time there's a release, I'm constantly wanting to taste what's new. Um, and Romina, you know, she's, She's young, she's intelligent, she's ambitious, and uh, I spoke with her right before she went to Peru this year, and she was taking over distillation for a family distillery, first female to take over distillation, and she's been learning from her grandfather for years, and the product that they've turned out, she was nervous and she was excited, I hope she's doing well, um, but the product that that family has turned out for years uh, for me, is an absolute watershed product for uh, for a spirit category. I, I struggle to find a product in any category that I like more than the next best product than the Pearl Ridge. Pisco is a great recommendation. I don't think people give it enough love. Um, and yeah, Peruvian for sure. If anybody says Chilean, run, because that's not... A, a, that's not a product you want to go down, but B, that's not a fight you want to have. Just go with Peruvian. And A, a Chilcano is probably one of the most underappreciated drinks out there. Just Pisco, lime juice, ginger ale, a little bit of Angostura if you're feeling like it. I absolutely love them. That's mm -hmm. a great call. Uh, Rooney, what, uh, what, I mean, aside from kind of what you've been doing with the restaurants and kind of re-educating yourself and moving into this batching, what have you been doing to keep busy on the side? I've been cooking and working out. And so not running on the 133, but definitely running somewhere. Not running on the 133. Uh, you know, Kristen and I, are, we've both been restaurant people for the longest time. And we've always eaten in the restaurant. And on our days off, you know, we, we work so many hours. 
the hell with cooking. You know, we were constantly out at our favorite restaurants and we, I, I always had a joke that I cooked once a year and it was Thanksgiving and I effectively, you know, used up all my endurance on cooking on Thanksgiving. I, I always do a massive Thanksgiving. Um, I, I'll never go to another Thanksgiving where there's not turkey available ever again. Um, but as we've gotten into this, restaurants are closed and we don't have our own restaurants to eat in. Although we have been getting Taco Tuesday from Broadway every Tuesday, which has been absolutely incredible. Um, but you know, I, I really enjoyed, it's been a great creative outlet for me at home. Actually, I've really enjoyed getting in to the science and the artistry of cooking and understanding, uh, proper meat camping and building these stews and these soups and just every it's, I mean, it's, you know, the, the other side of the coin from bartending really, but, uh, I, I can't say that I ever had that love that people talk about for cooking. Um, that just that intrinsic, like salt twisting desire to smell the flavors and experience the food as it goes on the plate and then you eat it. But, if this pandemic has taught me anything, it has rekindled my love of cooking. Uh, last Sunday, Kristen and I took a day off from our exercise. We took a day off from work. We cooked three square meals and played some gin rummy in between. And that was pretty much our Sunday. And it was very low stress and very enjoyable. Um, so that's been big. And then working out because we have to yeah you definitely have to do something to stay ahead of the drinking god knows that i can agree with you on that um if people wanted to reach out if they wanted to get in touch with you where could they do that whether it's social media or obviously the website to the restaurant etc where can people kind of reach out and obviously pepper you for specs on cocktails or just kind of pick your brain about anything uh, i mean my email is pretty accessible uh i'm starting to get back to checking it more frequently than i have been the last few weeks admittedly uh but michael at bacagroup.com um social media find me on facebook the instagram is at liquid underscore culture um yeah those are the best areas well i can't even tell you how much i appreciate the time and um i hope you guys keep staying busy i hope there's more days that are as relaxing as the three square meals and the gin rummy um and god knows that i hope all three restaurants yeah. and everybody with vodka group makes it to the other side of this thing in one piece so i can't even thank you enough for the time well, the you. information the education um and god knows if you're listening to this please go grab cocktails from them grab food from them as well but the cocktails are not to be missed if i can just say one thing um i would thank you personally and as a consumer it's we've had an absolutely incredible run at Broadway for the last eight and a half years at Fox for the last four and a half uh and it's been a testament to the staff that we have um but beyond the staff it's, uh, it's the customers that are constantly packing our bars and packing our restaurants and we have some of the most well-informed educated nice engaged customers that I ever could have played for you being chief among them at the bar. So thank you. And thank you everybody who's been supporting us before this time. In it's an art, man. You make it easy with what you guys do and what your team does and the way your drinks go down. It's, it's very easy to keep coming back for more. 
So happy to do it and cannot wait to do it again. All right, my brother, thank you so much for the time. Uh, be well. I'm losing, yeah. <laughs> it's that Laguna Beach life. You got the beach right within view. So thank you for the time, my friend. I appreciate it very much. And uh, we'll hopefully be seeing you very soon. But if not, talk very soon. Sounds good. All right, man. Be well. I miss you guys. I'll <laughs> see you guys soon. Miss you too. Take care, my friend. All right. Later, brother. That was my interview with the utterly fantastic Michael Rooney, beverage director of the Vodka Group. I uh, hope you enjoyed it. Definitely an illuminating experience for sure. Um, an incredibly well-spoken human being, well-educated, well-meaning, um, and just one of my favorite people around. Even though you may not be able to sit at any of his bars and see him in person and kind of get the full Rooney experience, I hope that that gave you at least a taste of it. And I hope that you definitely stop into any of the two restaurants, Vodka or Broadway, and get some cocktails and food to go and support them during this time. The fact that they're a restaurant group still providing uh, coverage to their employees during all this is an absolute testament to the ownership and the management. Um, and I could not have been more humbled to have Michael on the show. He's someone I'm very, very proud to call a friend and very humbled by his friendship. So... Thank you for listening. Thank you, as always, for the support. I hope that you enjoyed this episode and all the other episodes, as well as upcoming episodes. Remember that if you want to submit questions, comments, concerns, you can do so over at patreon.com slash the best seats. For only $2 a month, you get to pry these nice people with any of the questions that you want, and I will read them during every interview. If I got a mistake or got something wrong or whatever it was during this episode, please go to thebestseats.com slash you're wrong and submit a claim, and I will fix it on future episodes. In the meantime, I hope you stay safe. I cannot wait to start doing these podcast recordings in person and get the hell out of this apartment and get over with COVID-19. But in the meantime, wash your damn hands, take a shower, wash your hair, whatever you got to do, drink some drinks, and have some fun, whatever it is, whether it's puzzles, games, I don't know. We're all home. We're all stuck. So listen to podcasts, do something in the background, hug your loved ones, and whoever you're quarantined with, they're your family now. So regardless... I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you so much for listening. And I will see all of you very soon. Thank you again to Ali Quill for the music. Everybody take care. See you later. The Best Seats Podcast is an original production of The Best Seats. It is written, edited, produced, and owned by myself, Crawford McCarthy, founder and owner of The Best Seats. It is recorded in Aliso Viejo, California. It is subsidized through generous donations through patreon.com slash the best seats. The following are names that have subscribed at the highest tier, aka norm status, and thus allow me to produce the show each and every episode. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Here are the supporters. Katie Cassie. Eric Lutz, Serena Warino, Talia Samuels, Cheryl McCarthy. Thank you for your support.